Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I'm Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's bonus episode is a webinar that I did a couple years ago with my friend Matt Halpern, who you may know as the drummer of Periphery. At the time, we were selling a course on how to market yourself as a creative professional, which is no longer for sale. So if you hear us talk about that in this uh, episode, then unfortunately you can't buy it. But I guess if you really want it, DM me and we can figure something out. But in any case, this webinar is about something that I think pretty much all creatives struggle with, which is how to charge what you are worth. I mean, nobody likes asking for money. We all kind of, I think, uh, have walked away from some sort of a negotiation where someone said, well, how much are you going to charge? And you threw out a number and then they said yes. And immediately you were like, ah, oh, fuck, I should have asked for more. So in this episode, in this webinar, we're going to give you some detailed information on exactly how to get paid, what you are worth, and how to get over that fear of asking for money, something that I think we have all dealt with. Before we get into that, I wanted to mention a couple ways you can support the show if you would like to. Number one, share it on social media. That really does a lot to help. The platforms like Spotify and Apple really don't do a lot, so that does help us quite a bit. Also, if you really, really like the show, you can support us on Patreon. Patrons get every podcast a week early. There's a members-only private Discord server that's gotten quite active that I'm in all the time. I've started doing patron-only Q&A episodes where I'm able to give longer, more in-depth answers to questions than I can in a DM or anything like that started giving some stuff away. I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. Oh, you also get 20% off merch. So yeah, if you want to check out the Patreon, there is a link to that in the description. And with that out of the way, let's get into this episode. If you are listening to this show, then chances are that you like music interview shows. So I wanted to just take a minute to tell you about the Pure Pleasure podcast hosted by Dewey Help Us from Portugal, the man, Anatomy of a Ghost, and The Burning Room. This is where he sits down with some people that I think you will like from the music industry and just entertainment industry in general to talk shop and have cool conversations with cool people about what they're doing. A few of the names that you might recognize are Sonny Sam. Sandoval from POD, Jake Snyder from Minus the Bear, Paige from Helmet, Dave Shapiro, the brains behind the podcast network that you are listening to, Johnny from Avenge Sevenfold, Anthony Green from Circus Survive, Andy from Fallout Boy, Steve Evitz. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. He's up to like 200 episodes now. So chances are, if you are listening to this, there's going to be something on there that you will like. So you can go to purepleasurepodcast.com. That is P-E-E-R as in like peer pressure, but purepleasurepodcast.com. Go to soundtalentmedia.com or just do a search on whichever podcast platform you prefer and enjoy. Let's right. So today we are going to be covering the topic of pricing your work as a creative professional. So as many of you may know, 
Matt and I are about to launch a an online course on <clears throat> the topic of DIY marketing for creative professionals. So if you are a graphic designer, an illustrator, a photographer, a web designer, anything like that, if you do freelance marketing, if you, like many people uh, in your field, are struggling with how to market your services, that's what this class is all about. It's called Sell It Without Selling Out. And if you want to sign up to be notified when it launches, you can go to sellitwithoutsellingout.com. Uh, what we're going to talk about today is a little sneak preview of what you're going to get in the class. There's, I don't know, 15 or 20 sections. One section is on pricing. That's what we're going to cover today. So this is a topic that so many of you guys ask about, like, how much should I charge? Um, or, you know, how do I get paid what I deserve? Should I charge an hourly rate or a flat rate? If I do charge a flat rate, what should that be? Um, you know, how do I get the client to see the value in what I do? What if they tell me it's too much? These are all the questions that you ask, and we're going to be addressing all of that uh, in the webinar today. So that's what you can expect. We're going to talk about that for a bit. Uh, as I said earlier, once we get done, we will take Q&A at the end. So if you have a question, just drop it in the comments here, and we're going to go over all of them at the end. So with that, I will turn it over to Matt, and we'll get into it. Cool. Thanks, Finn. So um, as you mentioned, this is one of the most popular topics and popular questions that we both get asked about is how do we price ourselves for the specific service that we're offering? And um, there's, a, there's a lot to dig into here, especially when it comes to creative people, because I think creative people have the tendency to be their own worst critics, and therefore we tend to undervalue our work. Uh, so our goal here today is to just give you a few pointers that will help you kind of not to do that and to actually price yourself for what you are uh, hopefully, in fact, worth. So there are so many different variables to pricing your service, and we're going to go over the specific scenarios. But uh, overall, you really have to understand that when it comes to offering a service and figuring out your pricing, so much of it comes down to your ability to read the uh, client and, and the customer's sort of kind of like how they are and what they have to offer. So emotional intelligence and being able to understand what another human or another company is willing to or capable of paying is really, really important. And this kind of emotional intelligence may come really easy to some of you, but uh, for most of us, you know, it, it's kind of hard to, to tap into this, especially when we want to do a good job and especially when money is on the line. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it takes some practice. But the point here is human interaction and networking, which we actually talked about in uh, episode two of our webinar, uh, webinar series, is so important. The more interaction that you can have with other people, um, the more you can practice different forms of negotiating, uh, the better that you'll become at being able to read people's moods, the better at you'll, you'll become at being more pointed with your questions. Um, you'll be able to uh, kind of ask the things that are important to ask in order to get the answers you need so that you can appropriately price yourself um, without just, as, as we said, undervaluing your service uh, or your product. Um, and with that in mind, you know, many of you may have products to sell, but unlike selling a product, which you can kind of look at as a tangible item for the most part and figure out what that might be worth based on the competition in the market and things like that, selling a service is really, again, all about 
intuition, your ability to go back and forth with someone and find the right price that's mutually agreeable and mutually beneficial, hopefully. Um, and it's all about the perception of understanding what someone is capable of, of offering you for your service. So hopefully that makes sense. With that being said, uh, what we want to dig into now are the different kinds of, of options. And really, we've narrowed it down to two. So I'm going to turn it over to Finn, who can dig into those two different variables for you. So this is a big question that uh, we hear a lot from you guys. And there's essentially two options as far as how you can price your work. The first is you can do an hourly rate. And so when somebody asks you, hey, how much is this going to cost? You'll estimate, uh, well, I think it's going to take me this many hours and I charge this much per hour. So, you know, I think the project is going to be uh, this much. And the other way that you can do it is a flat rate or a project rate, which is they ask you that and you say, well, I think it's going to be this much and you don't get into, you know, what your hourly rate is. So the hourly rate is probably the most common one, but I don't like it. I don't think it's a good idea. And there's a couple of reasons for that. You may have heard me talk about this before, but if you haven't, I'm going to explain a little bit more about that and go into a little bit more detail than I did before. So there's there's two reasons why I don't like an hourly rate. The first is that you're never going to actually bill for every hour. So if you have ever tried to bill someone an hourly rate, you know what I'm talking about. There's always going to be a few hours of answering emails or sending files or, you know, a phone call that comes up or whatever. And and you're not going to realistically, you're not going to charge for those hours. So when your client calls you and says, hey, can you talk for a minute? You're not going to say, well, sure, but just remember the next 30 minutes are going to cost you $75 or whatever it is like this. It's just not going to happen. So you're going to end up working for free. And every hour that you work at for free drops your effective hourly rate. And then the second thing, this, this is the reason why I really don't like it, is that you're not getting compensated for your value. And, and actually, an hourly rate punishes you for being good at your job. So it punishes you for getting faster and better. So if you've been doing your, your, your field for several years, you should be a lot faster at it than you were at the beginning. Now, in theory, you can charge a higher hourly rate that will make up for that, but there is an upper limit to that. Like you can't really tell somebody you're going to charge them $700 an hour to do graphic design. They're just, I mean, you know, maybe some fancy corporate attorney can charge that, but a graphic designer can't charge $700 an hour. So there's an upper limit to what you can charge and it punishes you for getting faster and more efficient. So what if you, and, 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 and more to the point, it doesn't matter how long it takes you to do something. It only matters what results you get for your clients. So if something takes you an hour or a day, uh, but it makes your client twenty or fifty thousand dollars. You know, if who cares if it takes you an hour or two? It made them fifty thousand dollars. Should you just charge them a hundred bucks then because it took you a few hours? And like that doesn't feel very good, right? Like, wow, you made fifty grand and I get paid a hundred bucks. That doesn't sound. That doesn't feel too cool to me. So that's the real reason why I don't like the hourly rate because you're not getting paid for your value. You're just getting paid for the time. And it's like, like, that's how you get paid when you work at McDonald's, not when you're like a creative professional, you know, the only time that I like an hourly rate or what, well, maybe I don't like it, but you kind of have to go with it is like sometimes agencies uh, will expect to pay a day rate. Uh, and in that case, you don't really have a choice. Like that's, you know, that's just kind of what they're going to do. They'll, they'll say, well, we pay people in your field this much per day, that's a day rate. And, you know, we want you to come in here all week. And so that's how much you're going to get paid. So you kind of have to take or leave that. 
Um, but 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 basically, I I don't like the hourly rate for those reasons. And what we recommend is the flat rate for the whole thing within clearly communicated parameters. And the way you're going to set that price is not by how many hours it takes you to do it. It's based on the value that you are adding. So we think that you should charge a project rate based on the value that you're contributing, not the number of hours you spend on it. So like I said before, why can lawyers charge so much? It's because they know that what they do is very important. They know that their work may save their clients millions and millions of dollars. So, you know, what's $50,000? They'll charge, they'll, they'll say to their client, well, yeah, we can take this case on. It's probably going to cost you about $50,000. But, you know, if it saves you, if it protects you from $20 million in liability, then the client is happy to pay $50,000. Maybe not happy, but they'll do it. And you should look at your work the same way. Like, how much value are you adding to your clients? And you should charge accordingly. So when I say value, I literally mean dollars and cents. Like, how many dollars are you adding to their bottom line? Like, if you do a great job on this, like, how much money will it actually add to their bottom line? That is the starting point for what you should charge. Now, it's not the, like, don't charge them. Don't think that if you're adding $100,000 to their bottom line that you should charge them Nine hundred and I mean ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars. That's not how it works. But the point is, like, don't charge them a hundred dollars. And the the question you may be asking then is, okay, well, how do I pitch this? Like, they're used to paying an hourly rate. How do I get them to see it this way? So here is the line that I want you to use, and this is the one I always use, and I've never never had anybody push back on it. They always say, oh yeah, that sounds good. So you say, you know what? I think an hourly rate rewards inefficiency, don't you? Like, it seems wrong to me that if I stretch this project out, like, and, and pad the number of hours in this project, that I'm getting it paid more. That seems fucked up, doesn't it? Like, you don't care how long it takes me. You just care about the results, right? And every single time they'll say, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, I don't care. Just, just get it done. I don't care how long it takes you. You go, cool. Me too. So here's how much I think it's going to cost. Um, and so that just opens the door for you to be able to have that conversation. And, and just with that line, you just basically got them to agree that an hourly rate is no good. And so now you can that opens for you opens the door for you to charge what you think is your value. So then the next question is, how do you know your value? Right. And so I love that line, Finn, because it, it's just it's so sensible to be able to say, like, don't you think that, you know, if, if you're paying me this much, and I only work this much, it's it's inefficient. You know, I'm going to drag out my time just to get more money. That doesn't work. I think that's just it, it's very sensible. And it pro you, you probably haven't run into many people who have said, oh, you know, that doesn't make sense. I'm going to pay you the hourly rate when you present it like that. So everyone listening or paying attention, go back and write down what Finn said, write down that line because it, it it really is a a great sell and I think it will work wonders. Um, so as Finn was saying, how do you know your value? Uh, obviously, you know different projects you work on are going to have different budgets. Different companies that you work with are going to have the ability to pay more or less. So you really can't always demand the same thing. But that's why you have to have hopefully an in person meeting or a you know a phone voice to voice meeting where you can ask 
questions. And in that scenario, your goal is to really feel things out and to find out as much as you can about the project. So ask questions like, what are your goals with the project? What are you looking for from me specifically? How crucial is my part going to be with this? There's sometimes when, you know, you'll, you'll contribute to, you know, maybe they're looking for like a, an ad that's going to drive a lot of traffic to a specific website and it's your creative that's really going to drive people. Well, in that sense, you're contributing a lot to that project and therefore it's up to you to deliver some great value. And in that scenario, you may be able to really charge more, especially if you have an idea of what they're selling, what the overall big picture is going to look like, um, you know, kind of down the line. So, you know, ask as many questions as you can to learn about the project, learn about their, the, the company's hopeful outcome, um, and then also ask questions about how long they're going to use your creative Four. So if you think about it this way, like, are they just going to use a graphic or something that you do for maybe a couple weeks or a month and run a little bit of creative? Or is what you're creating for them something that they're going to use for a year, two years, five years? If you're getting to a point where you're, you're providing something that's going to be used for a very extensive period of time, that should tell you that they have big plans for the project it looks like most most likely it's going to be a, a pretty big revenue generator. And therefore, you could probably afford to raise your value and charge a little bit more because it's going to be an ongoing generation for them. And, you know, you, you really should even not be afraid to ask the question, like, if I do a really good job, how much will this generate for you? And how long will my service be used after my work is done? Don't be afraid to ask these questions. Not only will the, the people you're talking to appreciate the fact that you're digging in this much because it shows you're professional, but it's going to, again, paint as much of a picture for you as possible so that you can do some number crunching and figure out what really makes sense. Conversely, you know, although you may get excited about a project because it seems like there's a big budget behind it or you find out that it's going to make a lot of money, that doesn't mean that you deserve to charge an exorbitant amount. As Finn was saying, if you're going to make the company $100,000, that doesn't mean that you should be charging $99,999 for that because there's other things that go into it. You have to understand the other parts of the budget, the other expenses, um, and you also want to think ahead uh, to potential future work. And I think in, in these scenarios, sort of sort of harnessing a candor and um, a, a tactful sense of professionalism is important here because you have to think of each project not only as a one-off, but how is this going to affect the outcome of this one project? And then how can it help me going forward, whether I can use this project as an example to get more work with other people, or how can I use this as, a, as um, sort of a, a foundation to build and continue to work with the, with the client or the company that you're working with? So it's really important to feel out whether it's big or small, but don't get greedy no matter what. Always try to figure out the mutually beneficial meeting point for the price you're charging versus the value you're providing. Because if you provide something that's awesome, the company or the client is going to have no problem paying you for what you've provided, especially if it delivers. But if you push yourself up and kind of bullshit the process, or if you get greedy and then you really don't deliver, there's a very, very small margin, very, very small area in which you know, you're going to succeed there and they're likely going to see through it and you don't want to be on that side of things. Um, so that's, that's really, uh, you know, th those are some tips on how to figure out what your value is. And, you know, 
again, it's all about intuition uh, and it's all about asking the poignant questions that are going to give you as much answers as possible. And one more point about this is if you're in this meeting setting and you're asking questions and you're taking notes, don't feel the pressure necessarily to ask for a certain number or dollar amount right then and there. It's okay to say, okay, let me take all this information. Let me kind of do some number crunching and I'll come back to you with a better proposal or a really, really sound statement of work um, that will be as fair as possible, but take the time you need to really do some research, to really crunch the numbers and make sure that, that you feel good about your ask because you really, you don't want to rush it and then end up kind of being on either the greedy end of the, of the spectrum or the end of the spectrum where you're asking for something and it's just like definitely undervalued. So we'll talk about that more in a minute, but as an example of a project that uh, generated a ton of a, a ton of income um, and also warranted the designer uh, an opportunity to charge a lot. Finn, uh, in a video that he put out, mentioned the, the Justin Bieber Purpose Tour merchandise. So, Finn, do you want to talk about that a little bit and how that might be a good example to explain like the perfect balance of sure. value versus what someone can charge? Yeah, and uh, actually, I just thought of something else I wanted to add, which is sure. lots of times when you're getting into that discussion of like, you know, uh, who's going to throw out the first number? It's like this game of chicken as you go, well, what's your budget? And they go, why don't you tell us a number? And, you know, it's like this who's going to go first kind of thing. Um, and, and I wanted to share uh, another little negotiating move that I've used a lot there, which is like the reason they don't want to throw out a number is because they don't want you to gouge them, you know. And so what, what I say is like, if you, t I say, I, I just want to know that when I give you a proposal, it's not like way too high or way too low. I'm just trying to get an idea of what the scope of work is. If you tell me it's $40,000, I'm not necessarily going to come back to you with the proposal for $39,000. Like I'm not trying to gouge you. I just want to get a sense of what you guys are expecting to pay for this. And, uh, you know, just so that the proposal I get you is, is in the ballpark. And, and that's. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but that's the professionalism I'm talking about. If, if you show that you even simply just understand what they might be thinking about or why they might be hesitant to throw out a number, that makes them more comfortable knowing that you're a professional and that you are going to sort of charge what's, what's appropriate for your value, you know? Yeah, and usually when, usually when I say that, they relax and they're like, yeah, I don't know, probably somewhere in like the 30 to 50K range. Like, okay, cool. And it's important to follow up on what you just said, which is don't then come back to them with a proposal that's at the very top of their budget, you know, unless there's a specific reason why it should be. But like, you've got to, you know, you don't want them to go, well, fuck that guy. He just said he wasn't going to gouge me. Now he's gouging me. Um, right. But anyway, that's a, a little negotiation move that you might want to use. But uh, back to what Matt was talking about, which is an example of, you know, a time in which a creator added a ton of value and, in my opinion, could have charged a lot of money, like he said, is the Justin Bieber purpose tour merch. So whether you like Bieber or not is beside the point. You've probably seen this merch everywhere. They've got it at, like, PacSun, at Forever 21, at H&M, and I'm sure he's sold a ton at his shows. So how much merch was sold, uh, you know, because of this designer's work? And, I mean, these, this merch is really cool like usually someone like justin bieber would have lame merch with his face on it or something that nobody other than like a sixth grader would ever want to wear like they killed it on this stuff it actually looks cool so the fact that they sold hundreds of thousands or you know probably several million dollars worth of merch is because of this designer's work so this designer could very credibly say that he or she created millions of dollars of value for justin bieber or his merch company whoever does this so 
Again, that doesn't mean that he or she should demand millions of dollars for the work. But, you know, even though, I mean, the logo is pretty simple, it probably took him or her a couple days to do it. Don't charge them $500 for that. Charge them thirty dollars or $50,000 for it. And, you know, if you are proven, if you've proven that your work is going to move the needle, they'll pay it. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's always a gamble. But if you know your value and you feel comfortable with that, then it's, it's okay to ask for the right price. That being said... I think, as I mentioned before, a lot of times creatives are our own worst critics and we get scared to ask for a certain number that to us seems just out of the ballpark. But in reality, you know, asking for higher, a higher amount than what you think is work, worth and, and pushing your own envelope is actually super important because it's how you figure out what the market is willing to pay for your service. So I hate to say it, but in this sense, you really just have to practice and you know you really have to just get into as many situations as you can where you're able to negotiate and there's there's this sort of understanding in business where it's for the most part it's better to charge a higher price at first and then lower your price based on what the market's willing to pay rather than start low and either never be able to go up or start low and then start charging more and gouging the price that's just going to piss people off so again, you really won't know how much you're worth until someone says no. And you don't want to be in a situation where you throw out a number that you feel safe and comfortable with, and then your client is just like, yep, I'll take it right away. That's actually, that, that should show you right there that you're undervaluing yourself and that you're worth a little bit more, if not a lot more than that. So although it may seem uncomfortable to be in a situation where someone tells you no, it's actually a good thing to get to that point because that will help you feel more confident about asking for that big number. So if I go to Finn and say, hey, Finn, you know, for this service, I'm going to charge you $10,000. And he says, ah, oh, you know what? That's, that's too high. If I'm professional and respectful throughout the process, it's, it's very unlikely that he's going to say $10,000. Fuck you. That's ridiculous. I'm going to find someone else. If you've been really cool to work with and professional, he's still going to want to work with you, but he's going to be honest and he's going to say, you know what, Matt, $10,000 is actually a little bit too high for what we have to budget, but maybe you could do it for seven, you know, 7,500. Yeah. And, and here's how you get the price down is you don't do the same thing. So you don't go, yeah, okay, I'll do it for 75. You have to remove something from what you're going to deliver to get the price down. Like, so let's say it was a drum clinic and, right. and Matt wanted $10,000 to do the drum clinic and a meet and greet and sign some stuff for us. Then he would go, okay, well, you know, how about we don't do the meet and greet and, you know, um, maybe I'll just sign one drum and then we can do it for 7,500. So you right. don't want to just cut the price of the same thing you're offering because then you're going to feel like, th then they're going to feel like you were bullshitting them. You know, right. they're, they're going to feel like you're trying to gouge them. So you never just lower the price of the same offer. You've always got to remove things from the offer. And that's going to make you feel shitty, too, if you're giving them the same, you know, uh, number of options or the same things that you were offering before for a lesser price. That's going to make you feel like you were taken advantage of. So, you know. Finn is absolutely correct. You know, pull something out of it if you are going to take that lower price. But then, of course, you can also try to meet in the middle somewhere and find a, a, a middle ground that you do feel comfortable with offering the same services that you were going to offer for the full 10K that they're actually okay to pay for so that everybody's happy. You should expect 
to negotiate. You should never, uh, again, never want to be the person that just gets the, you know, the yes for the low price. Um, and you should always expect to have some sort of back and forth. And Finn is absolutely right. You know, pull something out if you're going lower than you're, than you're willing to offer for the full spectrum so that they understand that, as Finn said, you're not bullshitting, but also that you believe and that you are worth what you're asking for. It's, it's a very confident thing to do. And although it seems scary, Again, the best way to do this is to simply just practice this. Practice as much as you can. So um, a good rule of thumb maybe to follow is, you know, if you're going to, to try to, you know, offer your service for a specific client and you feel like, you know, you're worth um, X amount of dollars, maybe up it, you know, uh, some sort of percentage that you feel slightly uncomfortable with. You know, I think you can probably be um, reasonable and rational with yourself of knowing what's absolutely too high and inappropriate. But if you're a little uncomfortable asking for a certain number above what you feel really comfortable with, that's probably a good place to start. So there's no specific number or percentage, um, but it really, you know, you really should push yourself outside of your comfort zone and be ready to get the no answer because that means, you know, you're getting closer and closer to finding that value that is going to be the appropriate one. So hopefully that makes sense uh, for you guys. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Well, hey, friends. My name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, 
You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use Hyperfollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player and when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. So along with this, there are opportunities too that you might want to take advantage of where you might be doing free or cheap work. Um, and, you know, Finn and I have both been in situations where we've offered our services for free or for very cheap. And typically this is a long game play. So Finn, do you want to talk a little bit about this? Yeah. So, as as we said earlier, like we're encouraging you to, you know, basically charge a premium for what you do when you deserve it. However, there are times when the best move is actually to do it for free or cheap. I want to talk about first the times when that is a bad idea. First is if the person, if you feel like the person could pay you, but they just don't want to, like if they're just cheap, you probably don't want to do it because they don't respect you. And therefore, it's probably not going to lead to, to something in the long term. Uh, the second time when you don't want to do it is if the person just feels like they don't, you know, if the, if the person feels slimy, you feel like they're just somebody that you can't trust don't do it because again, that's not going to pay off in the long term. So the idea is that you're going to do free or cheap work, or you might want to think about it when you think it's, when you believe that it may pay off in the future. And there's basically two time, two ways that that could play out. The first is if it's going to build your portfolio. So if you are in any kind of creative field, your portfolio is, is like the most valuable asset you have. You want, when somebody goes and looks at your stuff at your, your website or they listen to your work, they, whatever it is, like having badass stuff in your portfolio is worth its weight in gold. So if you think that doing this free or cheap project is going to give you some amazing piece of work in your portfolio that will then help you get other work that makes a lot of money, then you might want to consider it. And the second time you may want to consider it is if it's going to build a relationship with someone that you want to work with in the future or who may be able to help you, you know, uh, in the future with some introductions or something like that. And there are times where even somebody who, you know, is a big deal may not have budget for a particular project. So, you know, it could be someone that has that, that generally has money, but in this particular case, they don't have budget. And they're like, man, we're doing this thing. We really want, need someone who can do X and like, but we just don't have budget for whatever reason. Then you might want to go, cool. I totally get it. You know, I, I'll help you out with this one because you think that next time they will have budget. Um, don't do it. You know, again, if you think they're just trying to get you to work for cheap because they don't want to pay you, don't do it. Um, but if, if you're helping, like if you're bailing somebody out, um, you know, by, by helping them in a situation in which they've got a lot of pressure, but don't have any budget, that's a great place to be because they will definitely remember that. So, you know, in the ideal scenario, you come out of this thing with, um, with a great portfolio piece and somebody who loves you because you just did them a favor. And one of the reasons why this kind of work is so good for your portfolio is because when you're doing it 
for free or for cheap, you call all the shots. You have all the creative control. And you've probably experienced that it can be difficult to build a portfolio with clients who have bad taste or making you do shitty work, you know, like change this, change that. And you're like, fuck, you just fucking ruined it. But you have to do what they said because, you know, because they've got the money. Well, that changes if you're doing it for free. Then you can just go like, uh, yeah, I'll take a look at that. Not, nah, you know what? I, I, I thought about what you asked for, and I think we're just going to keep it the way it was. And, you know, they don't really have a choice but to go with it because you're, you're, you're doing it for free. So that's when you might want to think about it. And this is a, like, if you, if you look at the people you admire in whatever your field is, um, I bet you a million dollars that if you trace, like, the history of their work, that this has, this has been a key part of their career progression. Um, it, it's true in every field I can think of. Uh, a very common one is music videos. So what you may or may not know is that music videos do not pay well. Uh, even for a big band, the director, you know, a big band, meaning, you know, like a, a warp Tour type band or something, a director, you know, is going to make a couple thousand dollars off that at most, which seems like a lot of money, but it isn't considering how much work goes into it. Or, or you know, there's lots of bands that might, you know, Pay the budget for the director might be zero. So why do people do these? Well, it's because music videos are cool. Uh, that's a great thing to have in your portfolio. It's a, you know, there's a big name band attached to it. You can do really visually cool stuff with it. And if you've got a bunch of music videos in your portfolio, then that opens the door to doing Nike commercials or something like that. So you build your name doing these music videos where you didn't get paid a lot of money. But then Nike comes to you and they go, man, I love what you did in that video for such and such. Here's $150,000 to you know, apply that same style to this athlete that we're working with. So that's how this dynamic plays out. And you'll see this again and again and again in every creative field you can think of. So those are the times where you may want to do free or cheap work. For sure. And one thing too, that, that I think is worth mentioning, which Finn, both you and I have been in these scenarios and we know it can get a little messy if you're not careful. Um, you know, you can also do work for a payment on the back end of things by, uh, you know, kind of getting involved, getting some skin in the game for a percentage of sales or a percentage of, of revenue generated later on. Now, as I mentioned, this can get messy if you're not very careful and detailed, but if you're working with another party that is okay with putting things on paper and you know you feel has a really good method of organizing that sort of payment or or fee structure then it it might be a good idea to look for an opportunity like that if the person doesn't have a budget up front, but they're going to have more of a budget later, or they'll have some some uh, cash to play with down the line, um, and they're also willing to work with you going forward. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go into that, but if it's the right people, uh, if they're very organized, and if there is a really good opportunity for uh, either you know payment for the, the work on the specific project or future work, it's worth considering that. Just make sure again that you ask the appropriate questions and that you feel really really good about the agreement between you guys and make sure that's in writing too. Don't just have a handshake, really put the points in writing. So it's, um, it, it's, it's referenceable later. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit, um, about, sure. about getting things in writing. So there's a, a little bit of nuance there that I think a lot of people don't consider. Um, the first thing is, well, so yes, you should definitely get things in writing, but here's why, um, it's, it's not because you're ever going to like sue them because you're not going to, you know, you're not going to litigate over this. It's just, it, it doesn't make sense. You're not going to pay a lawyer thousands, tens of thousands of dollars to collect $2,000 that somebody owes you. 
but you should still do it for a couple reasons. First, because they'll take you more seriously, and just the fact that there is an agreement will make it more likely that they, you know, do what they said they were going to do. Uh, and then second is um, that, you know, if sometimes things end up going either much better or much worse than you think, and so even though you said, well, whatever, this is just a formality, we're not going to litigate them, we're not going to litigate, it could happen. I know people who have done it, and you better make sure that you have uh, everything covered when you do want to go there. But do keep in mind that um, a contract has never stopped anybody from screwing somebody. Uh, I think we can both think of a few people who just flagrantly violate contracts all the time. And they know, you know, they're basically calling your bluff. They're going to go, yeah, I know I signed that contract, but fuck you. I don't care if you really, you know, we'll see you in court if you don't like it. And everyone's like, well, we're not going to sue. So whatever. So don't think that just because you have an agreement that that's going to prevent somebody from being shady. It won't, uh, but it will at least deter them, hopefully. And if and if you find somebody that does just flagrantly disrespect agreements like that, you probably shouldn't work with them. But um, yeah, just you know, people have an agreement. Or people have an idea that if there's a contract that somehow you're like, you know, magically you have this magical force field against people being shady, and unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. You just kind of have to take that risk, but do it as, uh, as carefully as you possibly can. And getting it in writing is, is a good way to do that. So Finn, unless there's anything else, I think we're on to our closing thoughts, um, which this is a good time to, if you have a question, this would be a good time to note it in the comments. Cause we're going to get to those yep. very, very soon. Yep. Exactly. So as we've sort of rounded out here, there, there's really no right or wrong way to do pricing. Uh, but but whatever you do, do it intentionally. Um, you know, make sure that you go in confident, make sure that you understand your worth and your value, know what kind of service you're offering very clearly. And practice. Don't don't be afraid to ask for what you believe you're worth. And again, put yourself in a place where you're a little bit uncomfortable, especially at first, as you are getting better at asking for your value. Put yourself in a little bit of a place where it is uncomfortable. Um, as Finn suggested, you know, the flat rate based on the value that you're adding is much better than an hourly rate if you can have the option. And again, Finn, do you want to reiterate um, your line for people that they can use yes. to, to really sell that? Because I think that's a great point to drive home. Yeah. So if, if again, if, if you were wondering, well, how do I convince my clients who are expecting to pay an hourly rate? How do I convince them that we should be, you know, billing this as a project rate? You, you, here's the line you're going to use. You say, Hey, don't you think that, uh, I, I believe that an hourly rate rewards inefficiency. Don't you like, it seems fucked up to me that I will get paid more by dragging this out and spending more time on it than it has to, because you don't care how long it takes me to do this, right? You only care about the results, correct? And they'll say, yeah, yeah, totally. And you go, okay, cool, me too. And now they just open the door for you to charge a flat rate. There you go. Yep. So with that in mind, you know, don't undervalue yourself. As I've said a couple times throughout this webinar, us creatives, people that are artists, people that are really passionate about what they do, oftentimes are very much so our own worst critics. So really push yourself uh, to, to be confident and, again, deliberate and intentional in what you're asking for. Um, and that, that'll get easier as you do more work and, and you get the praise and the feedback that, you know, hopefully your work is good. But 
again, in the, in the very beginning, practice and, and push yourself to be confident. That being said, don't get to a point where, you know, your work is, is getting received really well and everything is going great. And then you get up your own ass. Like you don't want to be cocky about this. You don't want to be greedy. You don't want to price gouge because honestly, that is the kiss of death in this situation. Uh, it, it's a small business. It's a small world in this creative space and people will talk. And if you're one of those people that is boasting about your work or is, you know, again, price gouging, that's really going to be bad for you. So always maintain this balance of value versus fairness and offering a great service, but also being someone that people want to work with. And that really just comes down to common sense uh, and being perceptive of others and respectful of others' budgets as well. So you guys can practice that um, and use your intuition there, hopefully, to, to figure that out. Um, and then again, this is something that, that I see all the time, but just remember, it is much harder to raise your prices on an existing client or raise your prices for a service after you've already stated a lower price. So our advice is to start higher and then negotiate down than to start lower and negotiate up. It, that's never going to happen. You're never going to throw out a number that a client you know, thinks is really, really good and reasonable. And they're going to say, you know what, I'll pay you more. It's very rare that that, that will happen. So it's better to start higher than you think you're worth and negotiate down to a number that still is even higher than you think you're work, uh, worth because that will help you to understand your value, know your price. And again, it's great practice for getting in the room with people and figuring out what you should charge for your service. So that's what we recommend there. Cool. Well, before we get into the first question, I wanted to add another uh, little negotiating thing, which I just remembered that I've done many times is, so as Matt said, if you want to, you know, come in high with the intent of negotiating down, uh, like I said before, what you want to do when you're negotiating down is to remove things from the proposal rather than just drop the price. So though a good way to do this is the first proposal that you send them, have that be like the super ultra Cadillac tricked out special edition version of the project with every single possible thing you could think of in there with the idea that there's going to be some things in there that you intend to cut out when they say, wow, sounds cool, but it's a little bit more than we we're expecting to pay. What can we cut out to get the price down? Then you've had, you've put things in there with the intent of letting those things die on the vine. So you already knew that when you put those in there, well, we're going to cut out this, this, and this, and that's going to cut the cost by 20% or whatever. Um, so that's just a little technique that you can use um, to kind of come in high with the intent of negotiating down. Yeah, that's great advice. That's really great uh, advice. Okay, so questions here. First one is from my boy, Geo Hewitt. Uh, thank you for watching. So his question is, hey, guys, if you're offering free work for someone you really want to work with, how would you suggest approaching them without coming off as wanting something from them? Should I flat out ask if they need X service? So um, I think I know where Geo is headed with this. So let's say that you really want to work with you know, let's say that you make videos and you really want to work with some music video director and the way that you would and you, you want to you get your foot in the door. And so the way that you're going to do that is say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll work for you for free just so that I can learn from you and get some of this work under my belt. Uh, that's a great idea. You should absolutely do that. What you should not do. I see a lot of people do this is that I'll do anything. Don't say that, because when you say I'll do anything, that's actually putting work on their plate, which is to figure out you're asking them to find a place for you. And they're just going to be like, yeah, thanks, but, you know, I'm good. Because they're not going to, like, 
go read your resume or look at your website and figure out, oh, you know what, Geo would be really good at this or this, or maybe we could use, like, they're not going to do that. So you should offer a specific thing that you will do for free for them. And they might have you do something else. That's fine. But just come at them with a very specific offer so they don't have to think about it. All they need to do is say yes. So like if you're a video editor, you might uh, go, hey, I saw you um, you know, talking on, on Twitter the other day that you like uh, had to spend all weekend logging footage. Uh, I'll do that for you for free just because I love your work. I would love to get my foot in the door. So next time you have a bunch of footage that needs to be ingested, give me a call. I'll do it for free. That's a very specific thing, and they'll just be like, oh, really? Well, shit, cool, yeah, come on by. Um, or they might say, actually, I'm good there, but you could do this or this. But the point is that you have like made it easy for them by saying a specific thing rather than just, I'll do anything. Um, Matt, I'm sure you've had lots of people approach you about doing stuff for free. Uh, what are kind of the do's and don'ts that you've seen there? Well, honestly, uh, well, first off, I think you're right. You have to be very specific with what you're offering. And that's why I was stating before, it's important to know your service and know the value you provide. Um, but I think the key here, the people that I've chosen to work with who have offered me something for free are the people that are undeniably passionate about the project and the opportunity. If you are really passionate about your work and you're also really, really passionate about this particular project, let that be known. Like it's okay to be honest about that. Like, don't, don't play it cool. Um, be tactful, but let someone know how passionate you truly are about this work and that you really, really want to be involved because you care a lot and that you're willing to put in the work because you care about the outcome. Um, if you can show that that genuine excitement and show that genuine passion, that's going to transcend for sure, and that's going to speak volumes to people. So don't just do it because you're looking to work with someone because you think it might benefit you in the future. Do the work because you're passionate about it and offer your service because you really want to be involved with that project. That would be my, my biggest advice there. Well, got another question, which I think you will have a great answer for. Um, for those of you who may not have seen it, our last uh, live show was about sales and networking. This one is kind of on that topic, and I know you'll have a good answer for this, Matt. So uh, Santiago Romero, another name I recognize. Thank you for watching. Got a good question here. What is the best way to contact somebody who you want to work with through Facebook? So what are your thoughts there? So I, I have actually worked with some people who I didn't know before through Facebook. And the best way to do that is, uh, you know, look, there, there's no substitute um, for, for having common sense and having tact when you approach someone. Um, so keep it short and keep it, keep it simple. Um, but, you know, make it very clear what you're looking to do. Um, and, and, and if you're going to make that pitch, say, Hey, this is who I am. I really respect what you're doing. This is what I what I do. This is my specific ask. And here are some examples you can check out of things I've done before. If you have a portfolio and something you can show people that really speaks volumes, then you know it, it's going to make the choice very, very easy uh, to decide whether to work with that person or not. Especially if you don't know them at all. Um, so you know you can definitely reach out to people, but don't write a book on Facebook. Uh, don't gush and gush and gush and be a punisher. Don't keep pushing someone if they aren't responding. Just keep it very, very succinct, very, very to the point and provide as much 
confident examples of your work as you possibly can so that if if you're approaching me, I can understand that you're credible, that you're professional, that you have references potentially, that there are testimonials out there or reviews out there. You know, Link me to whatever I can to see that you are a credible source and keep it professional. And that's really what I would say. Finn, do you have other suggestions there? Uh, well, you said contact them through Facebook. So Matt kind of touched on this, but I would avoid contacting them through Facebook if you have any other option. That's probably among the worst ways to contact somebody is a Facebook message for a lot of reasons. Like, for one, it's just kind of inconvenient. Like, most people either don't like getting Facebook messages or they get a ton of them. It's just it's just kind of weird. So I wouldn't do it if you have any other option. If you are going to do it, try to set it up beforehand. Like, let's say you met them at a party or a networking event or a show or something like that. You know, have a little conversation with them there and then, you know, uh, tell them what you want to do and say, cool, well, uh, I'll send you some stuff. Uh, I'll send you some of my work so you can check it out. Uh, Is it cool if I send it to you on Facebook? And they'll go, yeah, sure. You know, whatever. So you've kind of set it up so that it's like a cold Facebook email or cold Facebook message. I would really avoid that if you have any other option. Um, So that that's my only my only thought there. Yeah, the only the only other point to make there too, and, and Finn, I definitely agree with you. I mean, it's not the perfect medium by any means to reach someone else. Um, you know, specifically, you know, for this question, if you're going to go through Facebook, yeah, if you have a chance to reach someone in person first and then let them know that that's how you're going to reach them, great. Um, you know, you, again, there's a fine line between punishing someone and being a little bit scary, and then also being involved and trying to network through Facebook. So, you know, if you're looking to work with somebody that you maybe are in a group with or that you follow, you know, you can, you know, do your best to appropriately, and I'm, I'm kind of scared to say this, and Finn, I'm sure you uh, are going to cringe a little bit, but like, you know, you can post a couple comments on some things. First, you can, uh, you know, you can, for example, like there's times when uh, I've been looking to offer drum lessons to people that I don't know, but I've maybe seen in a group that they're interested in, in drum lessons. Well, you know, in that group, I may tag them and say, hey, like I saw you're looking for this. I'm going to shoot you a Facebook message. Check out, you know, your other inbox or your spam box because we're not friends. Um, you know, you can let people know in other areas of Facebook um, that you're going to reach out to them. But look, all in all, uh, if you can meet someone in person and you can network with them face to face in real life, that's definitely the best way. If you can't do that, just be as tactful and as professional as possible. Um, and that's that's my advice there. I really like your advice about commenting on stuff beforehand. So, uh, you know, somebody like Matt who gets a lot of comments, you might think that he doesn't see them, but he does. I mean, you know, you're probably not going to read every single one of them all the time. But, you know, people, everybody reads their comments and they see them. So if they consistently see that you've been commenting on their stuff for weeks or months, like they'll remember your name. Uh, yeah. and that goes a long way. Like, Oh yeah, that guy seems really cool. Like I know he always like leaves smart comments on my videos. Um, so that is a really good way to kind of, I guess I could say network online, but it's just like, it's building a relationship with the person online so that when you do hit them up, it's not the first time they've seen your name and they know a little bit about you and they're going to be way more likely to be receptive to whatever you're asking for. Yep. For sure. 
For sure. All right. Well, um, unless anybody else has any questions, I think that's about it. We just had those two questions. Um, so if you are interested in any of this, uh, then I think you're going to love our class. Again, it's called Sell It Without Selling Out. It's about DIY marketing for creatives. So if you are a graphic designer, if you're a videographer, illustrator, photographer, if you do web design, you know, marketing, SEO, any kind of service, uh, and you're struggling with marketing, if you want to get more clients, then that's exactly what this class is all about. And we have not launched it yet. But if you want to sign up for notifications when it's out and get access to our special pre-order pricing, then go to sellitwithoutsellingout.com, put in your email, and then you'll get an email as soon as all that stuff's available. So, uh, thank you so much to everybody for watching. Uh, really excited uh, to get these going. And we'll be back with episode number four of the Punk Rock NBA live show next week on a TBA topic. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. We'll see you. Up. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Get down! Get down! The wrath of the buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts.